Welcome to episode four of the Raindrop Corner. I had so much fun recording this particular episode. I had the privilege of having Kenneth Thomas Sr., author of Given Not Taken, on my show this week. And I actually got to go to his book signing, and I interviewed him after the fact, and got to learn a little bit more about Given Not Taken and the different components that made it into what it was. And we talked about his days of being an international model. We talked about race. We talked a lot about love. Corny, I know, but it was it was a great conversation. We talked about the writing process as a whole and, and not just overcoming fear when it comes to writing, but overcoming yourself and what that looks like after the fact and being receptive to feedback that you get from fans and critics. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Kenneth Thomas Sr., author of Given Not Taken, coming fresh off of your book signing, which I enjoyed. It was lovely hearing you talk about the book. So tell me a bit about your book. Well, Given Not Taken is uh, the novel that, my debut novel, and I am so happy to have it out. It has been a roller coaster ride, um, and all of the ups have been so high, and the lows have been not so many lows, you know. I mean, you know, a low is just for us, a low is just a slight dip, and then it's back up going higher and higher and higher. And um, I just love this literary world. We are really, really excited. We're, we're, we're moving, we're just completely moving. Given not taken is a uh, it's about a, a, a relationship. It's about all about relationships, is, is what I would like to say. I used to say Given Not Taken was about an interracial relationship that wasn't supposed to happen, but that was me doing a disservice to the book. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because of all of the um, turmoil and all of the love and all of the uh, hurdles that we jump across in Given Not Taken, all of the, the genres. We This book has three different genres that we deal with. Wow. We deal with the romance part of it, we deal with the suspense part of it, and we deal with the drama th- slash thriller part of the book. And that's one of the things that we are so happy about, that we bring all of these ingredients into Given Not Taken, and we're really, really excited about what it's been doing. Now, it having three different genres, did you find that it was difficult to put that in one literary piece? I did not because, in actuality, I didn't do it. The characters did it. Yes. You know, you know <laughs> like um, all I did was follow the characters. You know, we had one character that was hurt and, you know, she wanted to try and heal. You know, we had one a villain who um, cared about nothing about us, only about himself. Then we had a, a, a couple that just... It's the epitome of love. We love riding with that couple, you know. So we jumped through these different hoops. So all I did, I, I don't think I, I can say that I wrote the book. All I can say is that I just wrote down what was happening. That's such an interesting statement. You personalize the characters, which I really can respect as a writer because characters do kind of have their own personality once you lay the groundwork for them to get started. What was your seed? What was your why of what got you to create this story? It was the voices. It was these voices that that I had been trying to suppress and they were like, no, I gotta get out of here. Um, they just started saying, hey, follow me, follow me. Ava, follow me, follow me. Calvin, follow me, follow me. Deja, follow me, follow me. Uh, Uli. Uli, he wasn't so nice, but he wanted me to follow him, so I knew that's what we were doing. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, 
if I wanted to get some sleep, I needed to put this on paper. If not, they were just going to bug me until they got on paper. If they could, they would have put themselves on paper, to be totally honest with you. So, um, you know, I just had fun. And I am just so blessed and thankful that they allowed me to be the one to bring their story to the, to the world. Is it everything that you dreamed it would be and more? Oh, it is so much more than what I thought. The literary world, you get to see it. You know, I've been that guy that's been in the audience listening to Eric Jerome Dickey. I've been that guy that's sitting there listening to Omar Tyree. I've been that guy listening to Carl Weber. And I was thinking, oh, this has got to be a rush. And the very first time that the book dropped and I stood in front of an audience, I can't tell you what a rush that is. I cannot begin to tell you what a rush that is. And when the applause comes, now, you know, I'm used to being in front of people because of, the, the, of my history. Tell me about your history. Um, I just happen to be blessed to, to, to do a lot. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a military veteran. You know, and that is one of the most proudest things that I am proud of is, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of uh, uh, serving my country. I mean, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to have on that uniform and to salute the flag during Reveille or during um, the beginning in the morning. I can't tell you what that feels like. It's just such an honor. Happen to be tall enough happened to be the look that they were looking at that time for and I got a chance to model professionally look at you yeah that was pretty cool <laughs> you know I did the, the I did the Barcelona I did the Madrid I did the Paris France I did the all of the men's fairs the uh, the Hugo Boss the Rene Lazar all of those shows so you know being in front of people doesn't didn't bother me you know, I, I was comfortable being in front of people, you know, but when you're a model, all you got to do is just look cute. You know, I mean, you just go down the runway and you give them a pose. And when those cameras go off in front of you, you know, it's that's a rush. I, I got to admit, that's a rush. You know, when you're when you're walking and Tyson Bedford is right next to you and you guys are both walking together and they those are the cameras flashing. It's a rush, you know. So the literary world is when you have to actually speak and I love that part so when the applause comes and they're there for me and I'm like whoa and they're there for the book that has been birthed through me and when I talk to a reader who has read my work and there's some discomfort that they have with some one of the characters or they love a certain character or when they vent and tell me their opinion about certain characters I'm so happy. I don't defend any of the characters. Well, no, I do. I defend all the characters because I love all the characters. Each character is like my child. Some of my kids are nice. Some of my kids are bad. But I love them all. <laughs> so they're my kids. So that's how I see it. You spoke a lot about how people have opinions at your book signings and when you talk about your book about some of the characters and about some of the themes of the story. What are the type of aspects of your story that people tend to come to you about if they're venting or if they have concerns? Well, I mean, you know, the one of the big elephants in the room is the adulterous event. It's a part of life for some people. You know, um, 
either they've dealt with it or they know someone who has dealt with it. They, they were very adamant about voicing their opinion on that. Uh, another part that they were very adamant about was the interracial part. They, they, they were very adamant about, you know, the climate that the United States is, is in right now, they were like, I don't think this is the time for us to be talking about interracial relationships. And I think that that's a disservice because there's so much that this book gives other than the interracial aspect of the book. You get to look at the loyalty that these two families have for each other. And, you know, I'm thinking that, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and we were all growing up, I always would protect my sibling. And this is what happens in this book. Siblings to protect siblings, the parents protect their kids. This is what happens. So if you are only able to zero in on a negative part or one, only one aspect of the book, then you've missed the whole boat. And I just think that's a disservice to you if you don't get a chance to read and think about everything. Have you found that the reception for the book has been generally good aside from those those few concerns? It, it has, you know. I mean, not. I mean, we don't. There's a, there's not always a siren that goes off, you know. <laughs> um, what we, we we love to hear about uh, a lot of the the positives. But oh man, every person should love like this. Everybody should know what it feels like to be loved like this. Are some of the comments? Um, or I love the way. Um, Ava did this, or I love the way Calvin does this, or I love the way uh, Cheryl protects her brother or something like that, you know. Uh, there were a lot of positives about the book, you know, so we were very, very pleased with that. You know, and the negatives about the antagonist, Uli Kasha. You know, people were like, oh, I can't stand him, but don't kill him. Don't kill him, because <laughs> he pushes the book. He pushes the book, you know. We can say about Uli Kasha, Uli is the lion, and he does lion stuff. Everybody can't do lion stuff. Everybody can't regulate and kill what needs to be killed, you know? <laughs> That's the part of, uh, of, of the world. You, something has to die for something else to live, and Uli gets that. To me, he's such an interesting character. I First off, I have a bias because I love villains. Okay. It's one of my favorite parts right? of the story. So what were you channeling when that character came to mind or when you heard the voice of that character, I should say? I was, I, when I heard the voice, I was, you know, like I said, I'm just writing what they're doing and I'm like, oh man, you can't do that. No, no, you <laughs> come on, man. Man, he didn't even do anything. You know, I'm thinking, you know, and I'm arguing with him. He was like, hey, man, you better be quiet before we DX you, too. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm writing down, I'm writing down, I'm writing down. So that's what we did. I just followed the character. I didn't want to argue with the character, and I didn't want to disturb the flow. So whenever, the, whenever that villain was being the villain, I let him do his thing. I have a real respect for the fact that somebody else has voices inside their head. And they're sane, too. Right, So right, you go on right. the record and say that you can have voices yes, in your head you, and be sane. You can put that on the record. Yes, we can. <laughs> As a writer, you've grown a lot, obviously. It takes a lot for someone to write a book. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. What pushed you to finally write the book after all these years? I think that maybe you have to have a great team. You know, I have a great team. Some people don't like to be put in 
up front, so I'm not going to put them up front, but my team is just totally awesome. My editor publisher is just off the chain. Uh, we've developed a kinship. You know, I've always been under the opinion is that you don't have to be born from the same woman to be a brother and a sister or same come from the same man to have loins to be a, a brother or sister. I think that God puts certain people in your life. So if this is my sister, it is my sister, you know. And to be totally honest with you, I need somebody that can keep me within the lanes. She was that person. That's awesome. Yeah. Did it take a while to get to that point? Um, with, with her, it was instantaneously. Uh, with her, and that's why it worked so well. If we had to work at this, it would not have worked. I'm a type of guy that I, I live by my heart. And the direction that my heart takes me in, I follow it. I listen to voices. Before, I used to reluctantly listen to voices. Now, I trust it. I trust my voice. A lot of the characters in your story go through a lot of obstacles. You have Calvin, who's going through a lot of obstacles because of the loss he's experienced. You have Ava going through obstacles because of the obstacles of the, because of the, um, the issues that she's been having mm -hmm. within her marriage and, and other things in general. What obstacles have you gone through, and how have they fueled your characters into the individuals that they are inside of the book? I think the obstacle that I'm dealing with mostly is the real world. <laughs> you know, that's a good obstacle. <laughs> you know, I think the real world is something that I'm dealing with, and I do it to put my kids through college. I do it to put food on the table. I do it to have a certain standard of living. But when I write, I get to do what I want to do. There are no obstacles, and I love that. So that's, that's my world. You can be, when you're writing a story, you can literally, the sky is the limit. Exactly. Nobody can tell you no. Exactly. And, you know, you, the sky can be orange. Yes, it can. It can be purple. It can <laughs> be whatever color you want it to be because it's your sky. It's your world, you know? I mean, the sun could be green because that's your world. I like how impassioned you are about it. You can tell the difference between someone who, who likes something, but they get, take it either way, and then someone who truly throws their heart into it. Have you always been that kind of person? Tell me about, tell me about Little Ken. Little Ken is crazy. <laughs> Man, that dude there is crazy. I mean... He is the type of dude that he lived with his imagination. If I didn't have it, I imagined it. And that's how we rolled. Growing up was, 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 was pretty difficult mm -hmm. as, as far as the uh, uh, poverty issue, uh, lack of money. You know, that was, that was an issue that I had to deal with. And to combat that, my support mechanism was my imagination. And so I would use my imagination to get through that night. And that's why I'm so proud and I'm just so ecstatic about my imagination. Because your brain can do anything that you want it to do. It can save you. You could be getting the snot kicked out of you, but your brain can, t can save you. Can. You can you can overcome any obstacle yes. if you have control of your mind and you're able to do unimaginable things yes. with it. Yes. As you began to write, 
Was it you writing because you wanted to tell a story? Were you an avid reader? What kind of drew you into writing stories? Well, my wife was an avid reader, and I love getting her attention. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm walking through the house. We're a young family. I mean, I think we were married at 20 and 21. 19 and 20, I'm sorry. We were married at 19 and 20. And, you know, I could see her running around with, the, with books. She, and I was like, what's she doing? She's always reading. And I wanted to get some of her attention. So I was like, I think I got a little bit of talent when it comes to writing. <laughs> so, you know, I wrote a couple of little, little things for her. And she said, you know what? You're good. I said, oh, you're just saying that because you're married to me. She was like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. So, you know, then I started reading some of her books. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting in, in touch with some of the authors and looking at their different styles. And... um I started trying to carve out my own style. I wanted to be me, you know, and, and you know, there were certain genres that I didn't want to, didn't want to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I decided that um, I'm just going to stay with what I like and what, I wanted to write a book that I would, that I would read. So when my characters came to me, they allowed me to write the book that I would read. And define your style for me. You mentioned that you contacted writers, which is such a cool thing because I feel like among authors there isn't as much networking sometimes as there should be, but it's a great way to grow. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, a a certain business can be doggy dog, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's some people that I'm not helping them do anything, but I didn't... I, you know, by me being a fledgling writer, you know, I didn't run across that. I had an opportunity to meet some pretty strong authors, and um, they were willing to give me some tips and told me some things and allowed me to come in some of their signings and experience. And, and they would even introduce me, hey, this is an up-and-coming writer, and he's good. You know, after they read Give and Not Taken, they were like, he's good. He's going to be here with us. So I was happy about that. Getting an endorsement like that from somebody like uh, Eric Jerome Dickey was it's cool. That's encouraging. That, yeah, it is. It is. Awesome. it is. It is. As you began to write and you began to talk to more people about the book, did it kind of broaden your perception of where you wanted to go as a writer? It did. You know, um, <laughs> some of these readers, they are pretty... Brutal? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. They don't give a damn about how you feel. They want to know, hey, why did this happen? Why you, this should not have happened? They say what they feel. And, you know, you got you to gotta accept that. You got to accept what they're saying. You got to accept their, their, their way of thinking, their, their position, their point of view. You can either defend it or you can go in a different direction. But I like... I like readers that tell me what they think, what they feel. Because sometimes it does click and you think, okay, I won't do that again. Or, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the ways that you think you've grown just by getting feedback from other readers? I'm sure I've grown by being confident in what I write. You know, during writing of Given Not Taken, 
I was a little unsure. Is anybody going to like this? Is this going to work? Oh, man, nobody was going to want to read this. But after a couple of signings and after the opinionated readers letting me know what they feel, what they think, I'm so glad I did it. I always applaud people who go out there and they live their dream. And not just, they don't even think of it as a dream. They think of it as something they're going to do. They just have to get it done. Because getting it done is always the hardest part of doing anything. And we tend to be our own worst critics. Right. Throughout the process and, and even now, do you feel those trepidatious moments where you just, you get nervous about how successful it'll do or you're still working through the cycle of being completely sure of your work? I am sure of who I am. This is what you get. I am, there's no more questioning of which way I'm going. Am I good enough? Because I know I am. I'm confident in everything I do. Of course, you know, I may get a stumble here or there, but I don't, I don't expect it to be a, a rose-colored journey. You know, to hope and think that I could go to the bestseller of the very first book was a dream. But, you know, I'm realistic, and I am really grateful for the strides. I'm grateful for the journey that I'm in now. You know, if you don't have any gratitude of where you are, then when you do get to where you want it to be, you won't, you won't respect it. That's true. It, it's a process and it's a journey and it, it's supposed to be full of ups and downs. Exactly. But that's what makes it worthwhile. In this book, you do touch on some really prolific and progressive type of things. You talk about sex trafficking in it. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? I'm a father of a daughter. And I love my daughter to death. And I couldn't see someone kidnapping her and making her a sex object. You know, I couldn't see someone taking her away from the protection that my wife and I have provided for her and she have to do go against her will and do something that she didn't want to do. You know, I was listening to uh, Jada Pickett Smith and um, there was a subject about trafficking and how, you know, she thought it was so deployable and I, and I share those sentiments. So I wanted to bring some of that into give and not taken to make the world aware of that it, this is an issue. And this is an issue here in Jacksonville, Florida. You know, and it's, it's an issue in the United States completely. Now, it's, an, it's an issue over the world, to be totally honest with you. You know, our women are such a gift. And to force them, I just think it's sick. And I just want people, if they see something that might be a little out of whack, maybe they should investigate it or maybe they should tell their authorities. And if I could bring sex trafficking up to a head, that's what I wanted to do with this. That's a really noble thing to do because there, there are people that don't believe that that's something that happens in the United States. It does. And it's, it's something that is a very real and uh, relevant thing to what we experience in everyday society. And you also touch on interracial relationships. When you presented that in the story, were you expecting some pushback from, from the black community? I did not, to be honest with you. 
I'm from the 60s when racism was rampant. But, you know, in my early, early years, I was before integration came back. I was there when integration was taking place. And um, I, I couldn't see the difference between white kids and black kids. I just couldn't, I couldn't see the difference between a girl and a, and a, a, a white girl and a black girl. I couldn't see the difference between them. But you know, that's just being naive, I guess. But I think it's hatred that if you don't think like I think, then it's wrong. And I don't share those sentiments. I think you get to love who you want to love. I agree with that. You know, but I don't think that you could put people in a box and say, okay, this is the way it has to go. Honestly and truly, I think I was naive because my position was if a man and a woman gets together, they're going to reproduce, and that's just how it is. You know, it's, that's, that's just it, you know. But with the climate in the world today, I, I understand it. I'm not saying that it's right, but I understand it. You know, I just think that you see every other species, and they don't, they don't, okay, they're a different color. Okay, we don't mess with them. You know, I mean, no, that, that's just not the case. But I guess the humans, we feel that. In a lot of ways, we've made a lot of progress, but I find it interesting that things like that still come up even today in our culture. But I think it's awesome that you've represented that in the book. And I, I respect the book because it takes that, but it does not make it the central focus of the book. It's about so much more than that. For anybody out there, whether they've read, given, not taken or not, what would you what would you like to make them aware of that they might not know going into the book? I th one of the things I'm, I'm proud about giving, not taking it, is it can educate you. It can take you to different countries, and this is actually how they live there. It can take you to different areas, and it can take you, and it can educate you about the different um, classical artists. There are three different three different classical artists that we talk about, and they are there. Tell me about them. You know, I mean, there's, I can't remember, but we're talking about Wagner, we talk about Mozart, and we talk about Sebastian Bach. We talk about all three of these composers. And the antagonist is a guy who inspires to play like them. And they're from Prague, and they play in some of the houses or the opera houses that they're the opera houses that are in the book, they still stand. We talk about a, a, a perfume that actually exists. A lot of the stuff we talk about in St. Augustine, really, really high-end hotel, the Casa Monica, that really exists. There, we talk about uh, a restaurant, A1A, that really exists. There are a lot of places and a lot of things and a lot of themes that we talk about that actually exist. And if you read about them, they will actually tell you what actually happened. Even in World War II, we also talk about the Tuskegee Airmen who actually exist, yes. you know? So, you know, there are so many things that we talk about, you know, that can educate you. You can learn about the Tuskegee Airmen. You can learn about the composers. You can learn about Prague. You can learn about Germany. You can learn about this in this book. Was education the main driving force of, of putting real places in it? I'm so much of a, a fan of Europe. 
I'm 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 a stupid fan about Europe. <laughs> I, you know, I am. You know, and I wanted to bring my readers to Europe. I love classical music. I love it. What's your favorite? Your favorite. Well, let's do top three favorite because choosing just one normally is hard. I'm a Bach guy. I'm a Bach guy, you know. You know, but Mozart is nothing to be messed up with. There's a black composer that I didn't bring into the, into the uh, given not taken that I'm also a fan of, you know, and um, God, dog, I can't even think of his name right now, but uh, I mean, classical music, I, I would really like to do any type of, uh, I'm a fan of all music, to be totally honest with you. So I can go from classical to, to, to country. I love country. You know, it's because we're writers. <laughs> country music is about tells a story. Just tells tells a story. But classical music also does that. It tells a story. You know, I mean, one of my favorite operas is uh, Aida. I love Aida. I love that. I love that story. So, some of the artists, I I'm just so in love with that that genre. You know, I mean, and I wanted to share that with I wanted to share that with the with the world. When you were in Europe, I'm I'm guessing you spent a lot of time there, mm-hmm. correct? And was it a huge? I'm guessing it was a huge inspiration for the book as a whole. It was, you know, um, Dvorak is the other comp- is the black composer that I wanted to mm-hmm. talk to you about. Dvorak. When you're in the fashion world, mm-hmm. there are so many different choreographers that you have different styles. And one of my favorite choreographers was Mr. Kevin Oates. Yes. Kevin, Kevin Oates was a, uh, is a, uh, a guy from South Africa who just loves classical music. And most of the shows were done to classical music, and I loved it. And some of the models were like, man, we got to walk to this. we got to walk to this. You can't find a beat. But yes, you can. you got to put it in your head. And you can get lost going down the runway. Sounds an awful lot like writing. It is. It is. You only know to stop when all those cameras go off. You know that tells you to stop. And that, as a writer, you know to stop when the period comes. So it is. What was being a model like in contrast to writing? It just seems like you have such a versatile background from the military to being a model to being an author. See, my military career was so structured. Oh, it was so structured. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do that. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But when I went into the fashion world or the literary world, you got to be a free bird. You got to do whatever you wanted to do. You know, a lot of the times I was on the avant-garde shows, I was put in the most weirdest costumes that you could possibly think. I had, I've had blonde hair. I've had pink hair, whatever. I, you know, they kept my shirt off because I was pretty ripped. So, you know, I, I mean, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I'd be terrified of the flashes <laughs> in my face. No, I mean, you wouldn't because you can't wait to get to the end of the stage because once you get to the end of the runway, here they come. Oh, man. And it, it's beautiful. It's is, beautiful. It just, is it one of those things where it's just such a rush, it kind of cancels out whatever? It does. It does. Okay. It does. It does. The benefits far outweigh the fear factor. It, you know, I mean, you, you can fall, but... It doesn't matter. You know, you get back up and come back. 
you know. There I you mean, go. I mean, yeah, I mean, I fell a couple of times, but then I'm like, okay, I'm coming right back. And, and you know, you do it. I'm such a klutz. I've become an expert at falling at this point. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They, they're going to pay you anyway. <laughs> well, you, they're going to pay you anyway, so it's cool. This is a sidebar, complete sidebar. But was it hard for you to choose the cover of your book? And tell me about it, because I'm staring at it right now. So tell me about this cover. What flower am I looking at on the front cover of this You are book? looking at the bird of paradise. That's what you're looking at. Why did you choose the bird of paradise? Or or is it going to give too much away if you No, it, it does not. You know, um, You know, a lot of ladies like roses, you know roses but to be given a flower like the bird of paradise it's just a beautiful flower i mean it can it just has so much texture and colors and i think it's a bigger statement and calvin's mom was under that opinion she's in love with the bird of paradise and ava's in love with the bird of paradise so this flower is pretty integral, intricately stuck in this book. Something that I've personally wanted to ask you, having read the book. So you have your character, Calvin, who at the start of the story is married, and then something happens mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. and he's changed because of that. Mm-hmm. And then he meets Ava. Mm-hmm. So... As far as the concept of love goes, do you feel as if characters choose each other or do you feel as if it's just fate? How do you feel about the whole concept of how two people find each other? Because this book is based around two people finding each other and the events that occur as a result of that. Yeah. I I think God has a, a plan for everybody. I think that... You are who you are, and you're going to meet the person that you're supposed to meet. Something has to happen for something else to happen. You know, my dad used to say, something has to die for something else to live. I used to think that was so cruel, but it's the law of the land. It makes a lot of sense, though, when yeah. you actually think on it. Yeah. And it, doesn't, it does not have to be as bitter as yeah. it sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... It doesn't actually have to die, die, but something has to end for that to begin. So, and I get that now. You can't judge people by what they do because they want to get to a certain place. And I, that's, that's my position. You know, as long as you're not hurting anyone, I'm fine with it. Tell me about your characters from your perspective, because you have characters that are very interesting. Interesting. You have Calvin. And to me, he's just... I don't believe in a perfect human being, per se. But he's pretty close. Like, you can't... It's hard for me to pick out very many things to say. But I mean, in terms of flaws. And then you have Ava, which to me, I actually really love her character. Mm-hmm. She's a very complex character. And then you have the villain. I call him Muley because I feel like I'm always going to botch the name, so I'm going to let you say <laughs> You know, these characters, Uli, he is such he is such an evil guy. He is such an evil guy, you know? You know, he does, like I said, he does lion stuff. He's the king of the jungle. He has to keep order. He has to... 
he has the push. He does lion stuff, you know. I mean, <laughs> he does lion stuff, and I and I and I admire him for being that tough. You know, I, he, he does what he does. Ava is such an intelligent woman. She's a surgeon by trade, but she also has another degree in business. She's like a typical German that I've 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 come to know. Germans learn. Germans love to work hard and they play hard too. So I, I have so much respect. They are very punctual people. You know, if they say 12 o'clock, then they mean 12 o'clock. If it says two kilograms, it's two kilograms, you know. If they say what we got to do, it, it's that. And I love that about the German side of that family. You know, Calvin. <laughs> Calvin is such, Calvin is such a, such a nice guy. Such a nice guy, but he gets the snot kicked out of him. But I mean, you know, I value the way that he was raised. You know, uh, he's a he's a, a no nonsense type of guy, and he he's a he's the type of son that I would be proud to call my son. Is he a shade of yourself? Because I see I see bits of Calvin in you. But, I mean, that's natural. We normally pour parts of ourselves into the stories that we write. Yeah, we can, we can say that. We can say that. I wrote Calvin while looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. I, I, you know, I'm not as dark as Calvin. I wish I was. You know, I'm, I, you know I, my grandfather was super, super dark. And I was... I, Man, I was, I'm so disappointed I'm not as dark as he is, you know I mean? And, you know, that's why Calvin is so dark, because I love that shade of, 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 of an African-American. I just, I just, I love that. I love that. There's a, there's, there's a little bit of a lot of people that we put together to come up with Calvin. I respect the complexity of them, mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not static characters at all. They're very dynamic. Even at the end, I feel like, while Calvin doesn't lose himself, he does grow up a little bit as the story progresses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, there, there's going to be a lot of more growing to do in the, in the sequel. It's going to be a sequel. There, there's going to be a sequel. So Calvin got knocked off his rocker because he lost the love of his life. He, he swore never to love again. And he wasn't trying to love again. It just happened. That's often how it does happen. Yeah. Unexpected, yeah. which is yeah. normally how love works. Exactly. But it's more fun that way. Exactly. It is. <laughs> it is. I mean, he was walking, an arrow shot, and boom, and it's, it's done. It's done. <laughs> I varied this question a little bit because I feel like if I keep asking the same question, people are going to pre-prepare the answer before I interview them. But if you could say three things to your younger self, what would you say to your younger self? I think that I would say the same thing all three times. I think I would say, trust yourself. I like that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ken, for letting me interview you and allowing me to talk about and share in the awesomeness that is your story. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. For those of us that want to learn more about Given Not Taken or be able to connect with you via social media, can you tell us how we go about doing that? You can um, basically find me on social media at 
Facebook at Author Kenneth Thomas Sr. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Thomas Sr. Okay. You can email me at Ken at Joseph Syndicate. Okay. That's where you can, and um, you can purchase Given Not Taken through any means because we're all over. We're on um, Amazon, we're in all bookstores. We, we really pushed it. We're everywhere that you can get. If you can buy a book there, you can buy Given Not Taken there. Nice. Yeah, so we're we're very pleased about that. You know, we um we're we're happy with our our progress. We're we're pleased to share our imagination with people. And you know, we're looking forward to next year when our next book will be coming out. Also on October I mean on February the fourth. Um February fourth is my wife's birthday. Aww. And we like <laughs> dropping books on February the fourth. So February fourth was Two years ago was when we dropped Given Not Taken. So February 4th, 2018, we're going to drop My Best Friend. So we're looking forward to uh, sharing our, our thoughts and, and our imagination with the world again. I look forward to it. And thank you so much for letting me interview you. Thank you again. Many thanks and a super shout out to Kenneth Thomas Sr. for letting me interview him. It was wonderful. For those of you who want to find out more about Kenneth Thomas Sr., you can find information about Kenneth Thomas Sr. under the Twitter handle, Facebook handle, and Instagram handle of Kenneth Thomas Sr. And if you want to buy Given Not Taken, you can pretty much find it at any retailer um, that sells books from Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, Um, If you want to look him up on Goodreads, you can do that as well. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.